This is God's word. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from blood guilt, O God. You who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem, Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. The word of the Lord. I invite you to pray with me as we begin. God of grace and mercy, as we come together from all kinds of different places, we look to you and we hope that you'll meet us in this place. Whether we come with doubt or great faith, maybe renewed faith, maybe tentative faith, or maybe we feel like faith is slipping and doubts are overcoming and we wonder if we'll ever be able to believe like we used to. Um, Or maybe we come and it's just, you know, we, we maybe trust you, but the pain and the, the struggle or the are so great that that's all we can think about and we might not even find ourselves able to sing like we once could. God, wherever we find ourselves, we're all in the same boat with the words that we prayed earlier in the confession of sins. We are sinful. We look to you to deal with that sin. And what your story of Scripture tells us is that knowing us fully, knowing our mess that we don't want to admit to others, you still move towards us. And that's what it was all about when Jesus came to take our place and to carry the load of our mess. Convince us of that this morning and speak to us through the kind of grace that that communicates to us. And help us to know that we can trust you with our hearts with our lives, in a relationship with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Most financial transactions that you get into, you have a pretty high level of assurance that that 
it's going to go okay. I mean, once you've got purchased the item, let's say, you come to some kind of counter and there's a cash register and there's, there's some assurance of, I don't know if it's just the fact that this person had to get a business license um, or the idea of the Better Business Bureau. There's just a number of things, and I don't even know, I don't think any of us think of that walking up to a counter and, or even if you're at a, even if you're at a used car salesman kind of place, you're buying a used car, even with all the shifty stuff that went up to the, the point of actually settling on a deal, when you do go to that back room with the, the guy who, who really sets the prices, you figure, well, you know, you don't expect him to charge you double what was already agreed upon. There's some kind of sense of, okay, well, now we're at this point of paying and the final transaction. You have assurance. I don't, and maybe you don't realize this, but it's true. And you'll realize it when, if you get yourself into a situation where you don't have that assurance. And, you know, now that Craigslist kind of has taken over the classified, the class, you know, the typical classified thing and, we find ourselves, at least I do, trying to get good deals on things or trying to sell things. And whether you're the buyer or the seller, you can get to this point where you, you have this moment where you wonder about what kind of assurance do you have. And for me, selling a car recently through Craigslist and, you know, complete strangers calling me and coming, it was all fun and it great. It seemed like a really, you know, just a really easy way to, to do this transaction. But, but my least favorite moment was that this point where it was kind of final and we were going to like exchange, you know, the keys and the cash. And I think, you know, on both sides of it, it's like, well, do I give you my keys first and take the, you know, because what, you, you also realize, why do I feel that way in this exchange? The assurance isn't there. And so I actually found myself being, kind of having to give myself some assurance. And so I was, I was sitting on the driver's seat of the car that we're selling. I had given them the keys, but I'm sitting on the driver's seat and filling out the title. And I kind of convinced myself, well, what are they going to do? You know, um, I'm sitting in the car. They have the keys, sure, but you know, so just this weird little moment of almost how silly I was having to assure myself. Um, I think with, with us with worship, it's possible and, and actually likely for a lot of you and for friends that you'll invite to City Life that the moment of confession of sin is that least favorite moment in the worship service. And I think the reason, I think what it all comes down to is assurance. Because uh, what kind of assurance do I have that, that I can really move into what is really, if you think about it, an incredibly vulnerable moment? Kind of letting it kind of speaking words that acknowledge my mess and putting that out to God and, and sort of relying now on God's mercy to deal with this incredibly vulnerable part of my life. Where's the assurance? How do I know? I mean, in some ways, Craigslist, you know, complete strangers coming and doing this transaction. But in some ways, to, to us, a lot of times, God feels like a stranger. And we wonder, is, is there assurance that I'm going to be handled, that God's going to have my best interests in mind as a part of this transaction? I think that's, that's a legitimate, legitimate thing to acknowledge as we begin thinking about this. And it doesn't help that we're a part of a, really, and if you think about it, all around us the message is, don't go outside of yourself for assurance, especially in terms of your who you are, bless you, who you are and, and how you get your confidence. Don't go outside of yourself for assurance, you know. Self-assurance, right? I mean, people get passed over for promotions, even though they've done all the, checked all the boxes, right? But, you know, she's really missing self, she doesn't really have strong self-assurance. She doesn't seem self-assured. 
we're taught to, to, to kind of manufacture that assurance ourselves. And the Christian church says, in, in worship, the regular practice of worship says, look to find God assurance. Very countercultural. Look to God to settle your issues, your spiritual issues of assurance. And as you go to confession of sin, we do it every week, and it's like teaching us to go where to go for our assurance, and, and we get reassured every week. You notice... Maybe in the worship guide and on the screen, the words after the prayer of confession, I think they say this, words of assurance, I think they say. I think they used to say encouragement, and I think we've been changing it lately to say words of assurance. It's very important, that word. So if you think about it this way, very simply put, and this helps you know the structure of what I'm about to, to move on to, is that the confession of sin that we do on Sunday mornings at City Life Church, what it is doing, it, it, it is helping you develop the trait of honesty so that God can deliver the gift of assurance. So you're developing the trait of honesty. God's delivering the gift of assurance. So those two kind of parts. Let's move into the developing the trait of honesty. If you look at what David's doing here in Psalm 51, really astounding how honest he is in what he says. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in my sight. We don't like to talk about ourselves that way very often. Talk about ourselves as having evil within us. And I've sinned. I'm a sinner. Not very comfortable. What confession of sin does is basically say, give yourself permission you know, maybe you don't like all the, the sin language, the evil language. Just think about it this way. Give, give yourself permission to dwell on your own mess. Give, give yourself permission to dwell on your own mess. Let's make it a little bit practical. I mean, in your life, you have someone who your treatment of them is contingent on ways in which they've let you down. Um, and you may have absolutely legitimate ways that you're behaving towards them. But what you've never stopped and dwelled upon is the fact that you're, nur- you're allowing yourself in this relationship to nurture and to nourish a kind of anger. And all of your behavior towards this person is actually coming through from a very angry place. And so your behavior towards them will be experienced actually as very unloving until you stop and deal with what's going on in your heart. With anger. Think about it a different way. You may picture yourself as being a generous person and admiring generosity and, and handling money well, but give yourself permission to stop and really look. Because maybe you need to look at your life and say, you know what? If I'm honest and really stop and look, there's not a single tangible piece of evidence that I can point to of the kind of generosity that I kind of hold to and that I imagine that I have. I'm just, just that sort of stopping and checking. Or um, guys, on the issue of lust, you've got to talk about this, not only, not only because it's important, and I hear from you a lot, but also because this is what David, kind of the beginning of his need for a prayer of confession began with. So on the issue of lust, you know, you might say, well, everybody struggles with this. I mean, I'm no different than anybody else, and you might kind of just kind of brush stroke it all in that kind of a way. Give yourself permission to stop a second and, and just actually admit how dry your and lonely your soul is at times. 
And also just stop and, and, and realize that you may have just given yourself permission to have zero accountability in this area of your life. Stop and just realize that. Just get honest. It's the best place to start. That's what the confession of sin does. We've got David here, and he, you know, he, he does just really a, an incredible amount of damage through his sinfulness that leads up to the psalm. One of his best soldiers is off to battle. He takes that guy's wife in for himself. When she gets pregnant, then um, he begins this cover-up operation. Um, the third option of which, when the first two failed, was to put her husband out on the front lines to get killed so that then she could become apparently, legitimately his wife and that would be his child. This is David's kind of um, situation as he ends up. And so what happens, why we even have the psalm is because God sends Nathan the prophet into his life. And Nathan comes to him and, and just kind of opens up the door, just kind of points, stops, and makes David realize his mess and acknowledge it and deal with it. And so then we eventually get this psalm. The truth is, uh, you also need, maybe you need people in your life, but we, we think of this time of confession of sin in the service each week as that kind of way of God coming to you and saying, stop and give yourself permission to look at your mess. You need the door of God's honesty to get cracked open for you. You maybe even need people in your life on certain issues to come alongside you. That maybe is a whole other topic we could go into. But... What we can do here together is we crack open that door in the confession of sin. This is what, um, in your worship guide, I'm trying to think, oh, I think I have mine over here. There's a quote, great quote by James Smith about um, how we need this moment of honesty and this trait of honesty. So if you're looking on page four of the worship guide, James Smith says, While on one level I would rather not be reminded all, all my failures and sins and violations... On another level, I never escape the knowledge of them, and the right of confession makes room for honesty about that. We might say that there is a strange sense in which we want to confess. We desire to confess. And the rhythms of the historic Christian liturgy recognize not only the need for confession, but perhaps this strange desire for confession. Juxtapose that to our cultural liturgy. Think about it. What we do here together is a liturgy. It's a way of framing life, a way of thinking about yourself and your identity. And we're stepping into this from a cultural liturgy that's trying to do the same thing with us. And on this particular issue, the cultural liturgy says, well, to spend time focusing on failure and guilt, talk about a a stupid thing to do. I mean... That's just negative, injecting every week a negative energy into your life. Why would you do that? Right? I mean, sure, maybe there's something cathartic about apologizing and, and forgiving, but, but really to confess your sins every week? Um, and I think what, what the message, you know, the answer to it, to fill that void is to say, believe in yourself. Follow your heart. Follow your heart. Really? If I think about that myself, I think I, if, if that was my mantra for life that I hung to every day, that I clung to, really? Follow my heart? Trust me, you do not want a pastor. 
You do not want me as your pastor with the life motto of follow my heart. (laughs) Trust me, the people in your life, your parents, your siblings, your neighbors, your kids, they do not need you in their life with the mantra, follow my heart. And you laugh because you know it's true. You know it. So I've got to speak to that a minute. What does the Bible say? In verse 10, I mean, you might not buy this. I still might not have convinced you, but the, the, this confession says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do you see the acknowledgement? My heart is the problem. My heart. And confession, increasingly, if you pay attention to it, it gets under the surface. It gets down to the level of the heart. And, and it really does say, don't follow your heart. <laughs> your heart is, is part of the problem. There's an invasion into your heart. And that's the place where we're going to get at, at it the quickest and the best in terms of healing in your life. So that when you think you have incredibly accurate words of criticism for someone, you get down into the level of your heart and you realize that those words, as much as you can defend them, the legitimacy of them, At the level of the heart, there's a bunch of envy and comparison and fear that are coloring everything you say, as legitimate as you might think it is. Level of the heart. The issue of lust I just talked about, you get into the level of the heart and you realize the level of the heart, there's an isolated soul. The issue of, let's picture someone who's carefully, miserly, dealing with their money. But if you get under the level of the heart, what you see is someone who struggles every second and is losing the struggle to trust God at all with their finances. Or just flip that on its head. Someone going out on weekly shopping sprees, you know, gener- generously adding to the, to the, um, the taxes that support our, you know, through, through retail, retail therapy. And what you have underneath the surface of this person is, is a deep disbelief in the value of their identity and trying to reconstruct it through external means. The level of the heart. And in confession, the confession of sin is basically taking any kind of issue like that and any kind of struggle in your life, acknowledging there's a deeper issue and saying to God, I want to be honestly dealt with. I don't want to settle for some kind of superficial relationship with God. I want to be dealt with in a way that's real and that does justice to the real issues and problems that are going on in my life. And confession develops that trait of real honesty. So that, part two, God delivers to you the gift of assurance. God delivers to you the gift of assurance. Just think about God that way in your life. David, it's kind of incredible. When I stop and look at this psalm, Psalm 51, he pulls out just about every possible metaphor he can, every image that the Hebrew language has at its disposal for this kind of issue. And I mean, it is like rapid fire, um, you know, just one after another. And it's basically requests for assurance. He's desperate for assurance. Have mercy. Wash away, cleanse. You just keep keep moving through this. Cleanse me, he says again. Wash me. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones rejoice. Hide your face, blot out. Create in me a pure heart. Renew my spirit. Do not cast me 
Restore. I mean, he just keeps going. Deliver me from blood guilt. He keeps going on and on. All these images. He's desperate for assurance. And we all are. It's one of the defining characteristics of our lives often. It's just the, the desperate need for assurance in, on, the, on a broad scale. We don't always imagine that going to God will help. This is what a professor of theology at Fuller Seminary in Pasadena, William Durness, says as he talks about the confession of sin. He says, And we have a deep longing to be accepted unconditionally. This is captured movingly in this short poem written by a teenage girl. Don't criticize. Don't analyze. Don't even try to sympathize. Don't say you understand because you don't. Just hold me in your arms for once. And love me as I am. Like my mommy used to do before the world grew up on me. Inside of us, there is this longing to, for assurance. We don't realize how huge it is. We don't realize how comprehensive it is. And, and we also are kind of, our GPS is screwed up, so we're not inclined very naturally to move towards God in that direction to try to settle these issues of assurance. David models us that for us in this psalm. Now you might say, well, I don't know, honestly, I don't know that I can trust God because of the track record of God's people in my life, the track record of God's people perhaps on a broad scale, that I don't know if I can trust God on this kind of level with, with all of who I am, that he has my best interests in mind because I've seen how his people in his name have behaved. And so that's not a safe place for me to go. And I, that's probably a whole kind of sweeping sermon that I could get into, but what I'll just say is this. If you have an email account and, and you get an email that says it's from your bank and it's a scam and they want all your personal information, you don't react by switching banks. You don't react by getting mad at your bank. You, get, you, you deal with the person who's getting it wrong, who's misusing. Same way with God. Don't, don't give up on God in the safety of a relationship with God based on someone who's mishandled the very idea of a relationship with God. Go, so what do you do instead? Go straight to the source. That's, the advantage, that's something you have like in your court to, to follow through on. Go straight to the source. And what is the source? The source, Scripture tells the story of God, and David acknowledges it in verse 17 and 19. He starts talking about sacrifice. What you have in the Bible is this God who so desperately wants to give his people assurance, even though... Um, even though kind of the story of the Bible is that people have run away from God and said, we don't need you, we don't want to go to you for assurance, he chases them down and he gives them... The, I'm, I'm often amazed when you think about, um, when you read back at the Old Testament and you think about what God did for the people of Israel and the fact that the system of sacrifices is a huge act of grace. It's this putting a system in place that says, I want you to have a way to regularly come to me and get assurance of my love and of our relationship. And David acknowledges that that natural part of the system of faith in the people of Israel in his day. But he also hints, I don't know if you notice, he kind of he kind of pushes it aside a little bit and says, you know, that's not really what you desire. He's acknowledging the weakness of the whole sacrificial system at getting at our hearts. And he's actually forecasting what's going to happen in Jesus, is that Jesus becomes, this huge transition happens when Jesus comes in the New Testament. Jesus is God's son sent to be this sort of definitive sacrifice on your behalf. So the sacrificing is just sort of cut off and swept away from the picture. 
because of Jesus. See how badly God wants you to be assured in your relationship with him? He even comes himself and sets himself up as his permanent definitive sacrifice. It's really incredible. And so sacrificing, we don't do that anymore. I don't know if you noticed. (laughs) We're not having a sermon on animal sacrifices during the series. But I mean, part of this is, is that you know, we don't have to sacrifice regularly anymore, but we do have to confess. We do confess our sins. The, the New Testament still kind of points us in this direction and says, confess your sins. Um, and the reason is simple. Because we still need the same thing that sacrifices gave the people. We still need assurance, and God wants us to find it. But now find it even more so in God through his Son. One of, the, one of the reasons that you might not open yourselves up to this practice and you might not find this kind of assurance from God is that you have the classic kind of cultural issue of, well, if I'm going to come to God, I better have kind of pulled it together and gotten my life together. I better have fixed the issue. Um, I better be guaranteed somehow that on my own I have the motivation now to, to not do it again and to pull my life together. And really, I can't even show up to God in a really authentic way until I can prove to myself that I can give myself my self-assurance. Um, and God doesn't require that at all. God doesn't require that as a part of confession, as a part of coming to him in his relationship. He handles it. But what he does require something, and you see it in what David, what I was just pointing to in verse 17, a broken and contrite heart. God does require that in those areas of your life that you need it the most, that you will allow yourself to be, to feel and to become spiritually broken under the weight of your mess. And that when you are there, you will be restored and healed and fixed, not by your own game plan. I'm the chief of wanting to have my own game plan. Believe me, I know what I'm talking about. Not by your own game plan, but by God assuring you through Christ. That's what confession does. Um, So the assurance that the Christian clings to and feels is that before I even knew the gravity of my mess, before I even knew the extent of how much I had screwed up, God, there was someone already working behind the scenes, sacrificially giving of himself to kind of just fix it all and heal it and restore me and forgive. Before I even knew the extent of it, God was already at work. That's the, that's the gospel. That's the good news. You come to God expecting you're going to get a list of things you have to do now. You're going to, you're going to get shamed for a number of things you're not doing. You come to God and the surprise news of the, of the Christian faith is it's done. God has gone already well before you even had any sense that you needed it. And he healed your heart's greatest need. He's provided a way for you to continue to come to him and be forgiven and find assurance. So let me close with this. Again, this um, theologian, William Dernis. Obviously, I like some of what he said this week as I was reading. He tells this story. He says, Once when I was a small boy, while throwing snowballs against the wall of our house, I broke a window. I quickly ran in when my mother called me to take a bath, hoping that somehow, in the middle of winter, my parents would not notice what I had done. Later, my father came and told me he wanted to show me something. 
He simply took me outside and pointed to the window that I had broken. Now, with a new pane of glass in it. I don't remember, the, I don't remember that he said anything, but, it, but in that fact, my father made me realize two very important things. First, he quietly made me acknowledge what I had done, something that on my own I was reluctant to do. And second, he showed me that someone had gone to the trouble of fixing the window. Someone had paid for my mistake. I often think of this when I come to confession. For, for few things could have better illustrated to my young mind what is involved in confession and pardon. We must acknowledge what we have done, even though we resist, and yet we must recognize that someone else, capital S, capital E, has already paid the price. Will you pray with me? God of infinite grace and mercy. Would you help us with this? Because we are terrible at it, quite frankly. We are just so prone to uh, self-salvation strategies and self-assurance strategies. Each of us has ways in our life that we'd like to see healing and growth and, and a, a sort of fixed nature to our life that we just don't have. And we don't always know what to do. Will you help us? Will you help us to not be so hung up on holding our lives together and rather replace that with bringing our mess to you and not even being afraid to doing that in community with others, community pods, in prayer after the service, prayer before the service. Help us to do this through your Holy Spirit's power, we pray. Amen.